0: It is wonderful to be here. I was here in uh, August of last year. I checked my calendar as I was sitting there. August 24 last year. Does this go down at all? I have to loosen this. And as I was thinking about being here, um, one of the thoughts that I had is that in my role I get to travel and visit other churches. Uh, About half of my Sundays I'm somewhere else other than home, at my my home church, which is a congregation in Dillsburg, Brethren in Christ Church there. So as I travel, one of the neat things is I get to not only meet new people, but I get to hear and listen to new songs. So I'm going to throw the tech guys a curveball for a moment here. One of the songs that you sang here this morning I'd never heard before, or if I did, I don't remember hearing it. And I'm going to ask you to put the words up on the screen in a moment. It was the third song. Uh, who are the worship guys? I don't know where did that song come from? Is it Is it someone else's song that you're using, or is it written here? This one? Oh, over here and and it's a it's another I don't want to mess up your music. this will be good. I don't want to ruin the last song. but uh, go to the second verse that come up on screen. This one, thank you. Just leave it there for a moment. So I was, I was listening to the song, trying to learn it, never heard it before, and these words came up, and something immediately came to my mind because of an online conversation, Facebook conversation I had early this morning, or a, a post that I had uh, responded to early this morning. Five years ago, it might be six, but I think it was five, when I was pastoring a church before this current job, because I've only been in this job for a couple, couple of years, and I was pastoring a church in Carlisle, and um, Carlisle is an interesting small town because it is the it is the only small town in the U.S. I'm told this is true. The only small town in the U.S. that has an undergraduate college, Dickinson College, a law school, Dickinson Law School, and a military school, the U.S. Army War College, is in Carlisle. So, for a small town, you have a fairly well-educated Community that is constantly changing because each of those schools have the constant flux of students and faculty. The U.S. Army War College brings people in from across the world. It's not just people from within the U.S. who spend one year in Carlisle at the War College and then they go elsewhere. Um, one of the things that the War College does is it brings nationals from other countries' military. So each, not each country, but many countries of the world will send um, a family to Carlisle for the year to be in the the U.S. Army War College. In the street in which I lived at the time, we were called the kind of international street because we had the Canadian house where the Canadian family came. We had the Brazilian house where the Brazilian family came and so on and so forth. And we got to meet all these people. What that meant in the local church was that people were constantly turning up, as you do at any local church, who we didn't know. One of those people came to our home. My wife and I, when new people would come to church, we would have like a pastor's um, gathering where we would invite people to come. And this uh, person came with his wife, they were Americans, military, and... uh, All of the students at the War College were ranking, so colonels and above. We got to know this person. His name is Dino. The first night in our home, he shared with us that he'd been coming to the church for maybe six months, just turning up, going home. In that six-month period, he had committed his life to Jesus Christ. He had been raised in in a church in his youth, but had no faith he had now come back to his own personal faith and so we celebrated this journey that he'd been on and he gave credit to this church community that that I was the pastor of and just coming and going he said you know I've come to new faith in Christ My, my wife has not yet she was there but he had this new faith so he shared that with us then he said I've also been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer now if you know anything of pancreatic cancer it is um a cancer that people don't live from. It's just one of those that will take a person's life. So Dino was coming to the church. He shared his story of faith. I would visit with him as his health declined. And he shared with me his concern about his wife and what she was going to do. Their two daughters who lived uh, in Pennsylvania and their son who was, they're all adult children who lived in another state. This Sunday, five years ago, that's the connection. We, we baptized Dino and received him into membership in the church. It was the last thing he wanted to do. He knew that he only had a week or two to live, and he said, I want to be baptized, and I want to uh, become a member of the church. We wheeled him onto the platform of the church in a wheelchair because he couldn't walk anymore. His family had come. He had an oxygen tank and was uh, dependent upon that. We, we baptized him. Um, we received him into membership in the church. That was the Sunday morning. His family celebrated Thanksgiving that day on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And on Friday, this coming Friday, he passed away five years ago. So was a member of the church for about six days. So his wife this morning posted on Facebook reflecting on the events of that week in their life five years ago. Mentioned her husband, Dino, coming to church, coming to faith, baptism, membership, then his death. Uh, They asked me to do the funeral, which was in San Antonio, Texas. It was a full military honors funeral at one of the cemeteries there. And uh, I went down to do that funeral. His, His wife came to faith. Marilyn was her name. His wife came to faith just after it. And then their son also came to faith. Son was a lawyer, is a lawyer. Uh, he had already moved out of the family home, lived in Texas, and then moved on to Oklahoma, but was a lawyer. And then about a year ago, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so Marilyn has spent the last year, she moved from Carlisle to be with her son, as his health has declined. And so I looked at these words if it's your will for me to suffer, give me grace to suffer well. Dino lived that, even though he wouldn't have known those words. He he lived that. He suffered well. He knew the end of his life was coming. And even in the last week, he said, professing my trust in Jesus Christ is the most important thing. And so he he did that and died shortly after. One of his concerns for his wife, Marilyn, was she had no faith or not much faith at the time in what would happen. And to see how she came to faith in spite of losing her husband. After his death, she found Jesus to be the one who brings comfort and strength. And then their lawyer's son, and I remember meeting him for the second time at the funeral, and he faith was not a part of his life. Then he was diagnosed with cancer and then he has come to faith in Jesus. And his life is still they don't know what's going to happen, if he's going to make it through or not. Four or five months ago he was not expected to live, but rallied and improved and, and is still alive today. This is hard to live. This is hard to live. And I'm not sure that we can easily say, you know, God wants me to suffer, like the song, If It's Your Will. I, I have this kind of belief that helps me that there's God's permitted will. There's the things that God allows to happen, even though it's not his choice for us. And then there's God's perfect will, the things that God really wants for us. And I don't know, I, I really don't know how to work all that out. But if it's your will for me to suffer, give me grace to suffer well. Put up the next screen that follows that, if you would. Let my sickness bring you glory. So this morning on Facebook, um, it was about 4.30 this morning, I was up, I I don't sleep particularly well, and so I was up early and uh, was looking at Facebook, and uh, Marilyn, his wife, had posted about, you know, these five years ago, this was our story and our journey, and I thought his, Dino's sickness did bring glory to God. In his own life, in his own baptism, in his own membership, coming into the church and telling his story, his wife and her journey, his son and his journey. So I say all of that, and you can take those words off the screen, I say all of that unplanned, that's kind of just what came to my mind as I was... Um, listening to the song this morning. How much of my time have I left now, Tim, to say what I actually came to say today? Not long. One of the things that we hear a lot in our society today, and I think it's partly because of the whole political thing and the election campaigns that are going on, and I'm not making political statements, I'm just observing what's happening. We hear a lot about the need for leadership. So whether it's leadership for the country, whether it's leadership for the world, and I also know that you as a church, when I last came in August of last year, Pastor Brian had recently transitioned in his own life. So leadership and the need for leadership is just a constant everywhere we go. That's what people want. I myself have been somewhat of a student of leadership theory So some of the studies that I've done in in my life have been programs in the study of leadership. And my favorite quote about leadership, I want to give it to you. This is my all-time favorite quote. I found it in a book. Um, The book is called The Nature of Leadership, and it's written by a man called Chester Bernard. Listen to what he said about leadership. Quote, Leadership has been the subject of an extraordinary amount of dogmatically stated nonsense. It's my favorite quote about leadership. Leadership has been the subject of an extraordinary amount of dogmatically stated nonsense. His book was on to say that People who write and talk a lot about leadership just come up with theories and views and opinions and they write them as if they're all factually true and always true. And sometimes there may be truth in them, but they're often just huge overgeneralizations and it's just not real. As a pastor, for most of my life, I've just been in this role, as I mentioned, a couple of years, but for almost 30 years, I served as a pastor. First of all, in Britain, which is where I'm from. Some of you are hearing the accent, you're still trying to work out where I'm from. You're saying, that doesn't sound like a Dillsburg accent. Um, So from Northern Ireland originally and served in church life there and then in the country of Wales where our two daughters were born, then in England, then in Scotland, and then ended up uh, over here in the US. But in in my experience, a lot gets talked about leadership in churches. This is what leadership in the church looks like. I want to suggest this morning, and I'm, I'm going to refer you to a couple of passages of scripture, that when we talk about leadership in church life, it's good to look at the text of Scripture and say, how did it work there? What happened and what can we learn from that? So let me ask you, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at three stories, and I'll be really quick with each one. I, I kind of promise that I will. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 6, and Acts chapter 15. These are three really really important stories in the history of the church in the New Testament. And and each of them will give us a little window into some of the things that were going on. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2 first of all. And I think they're going to put some of the scriptures on the screen, you can follow it. Acts chapter 2 is the story of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now Pentecost was a Jewish festival Kind of like our Thanksgiving, if you like. It was a cultural festival. It had religious connections. And just like our Thanksgiving, if you lived in the city of Jerusalem, during Pentecost, people traveled from all over. In the same way that during this Thanksgiving week, people will be traveling. Families will be connecting. It's one of the busiest travel times of the year. It's kind of what happened. So you're in the city of Jerusalem, and people have come from all kinds of different countries. And verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly like a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Neither were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Just pausing there to reflect on that, that probably wasn't accurate. It's not that Luke is lying, but in terms of their understanding, every nation under heaven, you know, there were parts of the world that people weren't there, but scripture in and The people at the time, the world that they knew, the way in which people would talk, they're trying to give a sense of there were a lot of people there. There were people from all over. So they've all gathered together. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed they asked, are these not all men who are speaking? Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongues? And I want to jump to verse 14. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And then he gives a sermon. I don't want to read the sermon. Here's my reflection on leadership from this chapter it's a surprise what God does sometimes. It's fascinating to me that this is a really unlikely story. If we had time to read what happened before this, we would have read the Gospels, and we would have read how the followers of Jesus, the Gospels end with them in some, some level of disarray and bewilderment. The man that they had followed for three years has been crucified. The resurrection has occurred, but they didn't know what that was all about, and they really didn't understand it. And they were living mostly in fear of the authorities. Because after all, the authorities had put Jesus to death. So you don't want to be out there saying you're a follower of Jesus because who knows what's going to happen to you. Peter himself, who is mentioned in this particular verse, Peter, if you remember the story, Peter was the one who denied Jesus out of fear. Here he is standing before a crowd in Acts chapter 2 that is comprised of people from all over the world. And he's prepared to stand up, stand for his faith, and actually contradict the common assumption of the crowd. The crowd is looking at what's happening. They're making assumptions. And Peter stands up and says, no, you're all wrong. What you think is going on is not what is going on let me tell you what is going on, and he gives a whole long sermon. And in this sermon, he kind of points a finger at them, and he said, you were the reason that Jesus died. You were the people who turned your back on God and rejected God through the person of his son, and it's your fault. And it strikes me that in church leadership, God is often the God of surprises, The common phrase in our society when something like this happens, it's become kind of a popular thing to say, I didn't see that coming. When you read the book of Acts, there's a lot of times where I just want to say, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that. It doesn't fit what I thought. It doesn't fit the story. It doesn't fit the history. And it doesn't fit my expectations. I really didn't see that coming. But that's what happened here in the Dev Pentecost. And it also reminds me that not only is it a surprise, but it's a reminder to me in leadership, and especially in church leadership, that the only person, ultimately the only one who can build the church, is God himself. Because you get to the end of the chapter, if you want to look to the end of chapter 2, verse 47, and there's this summary statement that the writer who was called Luke, the writer of this book is the Luke from Luke's gospel and he says this that God the Lord added to the church every day those who were coming to faith in Christ only God can build his church only God can do the work of the church that's not to say, <clears throat> excuse me that's not to say that people aren't important it's not to say that Peter didn't preach it's not to say that human instruments aren't significant but ultimately it's what God does. So that's one reflection on this whole subject of leadership. Let's turn to Acts chapter 6. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, something interesting and quite sad has happened. The interesting and encouraging part is this church has grown, which you would expect because in chapter 2 we read that God is adding to the church every day. Well, just imagine if people are being added to the church every day, one of the realities that is likely is that the people who start coming to the church don't look like each other. They're different. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, this growing church is now struggling with the diversity of the people. But the diversity issue that they were struggling with was their ethnic Ancestry. Everybody was of of a Jewish background, but some of the Jewish people in the church had come from a true Jewish background. They were brought up likely in Palestine, brought up in that area, and they spoke Hebrew. The other Jewish people in the church were people who had moved away, they've been in other places. There's been some movement in their families, and they actually don't speak Hebrew, which is the proper language of Judaism, the official language. They speak something else. And they have cultures and ways of doing things that are different. So there's a cultural difference, even though they're all Jewish people who have now become Christians. Now here's the sad thing that happens, and you can read it in chapter 6 as the church was providing physical help to the people in the church who had need, there was discrimination going on. Now, I say discrimination. It doesn't use that word in the verse. What it does tell us is that the people who were not true in their kind of cultural ancestry, they're looking at the people who were more true, were the Hebraic Jews, I'm going to move this a little further from my mouth. Just hopefully that will stop the buzzing noise. And the the people who uh, who were not of the Jewish, the true Jewish ancestry, are looking at the others, and they're saying, "Our widows, our hungry people, are being neglected, while they are being given food." I find that really sad. That in the church among brothers and sisters who are of one family, there was some level of discrimination going on. That's sad. The people who are feeling neglected, they complain. That's what it tells us. You can read it there in Acts chapter 6, and I'm not going to read it all, but if you want to look at verses 3 and 4, it says that they complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Sometimes in church leadership, complaints happen. I've been a pastor, as I mentioned, a long time. I've been in all kinds of scenarios where some people in the church complain. The music's too loud, the music's too quiet, the coffee's too hot, the coffee's too cold, it's too strong, it's too weak, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then some important stuff. I'm not saying coffee's not important, by the way, I mean, just... just. And one of the challenges of leadership is learning what are the... When do we listen to the minority because their views actually need to be heard It's a a role of leaders in leadership to listen to all and to respond. And so the responsiveness of leaders in this chapter is what I find really interesting. They didn't deny what was happening, so it kind of implies that the accusation, the rumor, the complaint was true. They didn't say, oh, no, 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 that's not what's happening, you're mistaken. They they accept it, they hear it, they accept it, and then they come up with a, a plan to address it. They say, okay, let's choose some people from us who we can give that responsibility to and they can make sure that what needs to be done is done. And I find that a fascinating leadership observation that there's a level of responsiveness and openness and willingness to change what had been normal because there's a better way. Another reflection that I've often thought about over the years is they try to determine in Acts chapter 6 who must do what in the life of the church. Who must do what? When you read the, the chapter, the leaders of the church say, what you're saying is important, and we want to make sure that everyone is cared for, and we want to make sure the food is given equally, and we want to avoid any of these unfortunate discriminatory behaviors that have happened You're absolutely right. That's important. However, we can't do that. Because if we do that, the role and the calling that God has for us will be neglected. So the solution they propose is because God has asked us to fill certain roles, we need others to step up in service and in leadership so that we can all be better off. It's Kind of like Tim said in his announcements, for those of you who were working with the children this week, the one or two or three or four or ten or twenty who said, this probably isn't what I'd want to do. That's the reason my wife isn't with me today and generally doesn't come with me on a Sunday because she volunteers in the children's ministry in the church where we attend. And so... When I tell her I'm going to Koinos Community Church and does she want to come, she'll say, I can't, I'm, I'm in children's ministry. That's her part of her calling, has been for all of our ministry. She's always been involved in the work with children because she's passionate about it. She loves the kids. She sees it as significant. She, she sees kids that she ministered to. She typically does the fourth and fifth grade, which I just can't even imagine doing that, I've got to tell you. And now she's seeing these fourth and fifth graders, you know, getting married and having children, not not at the fourth and fifth grade. Yeah, no, <laughs> I hope you were tracking with me on the life there. And and so this this observation of leadership in the church is: listen to the minority, listen to the complaints; they might be legitimate determine together is there something we should do and then enlist others to be a part of the solution. I sometimes wonder if the people who were pointing out the problem became a part of the solution or did they just want to keep pointing out the problem. That's one of the realities that sometimes happens. The last one, Acts chapter 15. I promised I'd be quick on each one, didn't I? Acts chapter 15, it's another one of these great stories of the church where they're facing a dilemma. The dilemma again goes back to the differences of, among people. Some of the people in the church, if you remember Acts chapter 6, it was people who were Jewish, but some were of a sort of Jewish ancestry and some were of a, uh, an ancestry where they'd picked up other cultures. Now in Acts chapter 15, they're not even all Jewish. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. And the question that they're wrestling with is, if a Gentile becomes a follower of Jesus, which of the Jewish customs must the Gentile convert adhere to, follow, keep, in order to be a follower of Jesus? You know, Jewish customs, there were many of those. But if you're a Gentile, you don't have any of those. So if you're going to follow Jesus, which of the Jewish customs are a true part of the gospel? The the leadership question I think they're wrestling with is, what matters most? What matters most? when we've got all kinds of customs and cultures, all of the norms that most people have grown up with, how do we separate those from the truth of the gospel? How do we separate culture and gospel? What does it mean to follow Jesus if you come from other cultures? And so they're wrestling with this question of what matters most. I think that's the the question that so often churches today get so hung up on or, or so easily sidetracked with. What matters most? Or even what matters? Tim mentioned that many of the brethren of Christ churches that you might go to don't look like koinos. You know, he he mentioned people might dress more conservatively and so on, and some are more traditional and so on. I think one of the reasons we have such tremendous diversity across our family is we have said, those things really don't matter. They're not significant. Certain people might be more comfortable looking one way or worshipping one way or doing a certain number of things in a certain way, but we have separated those from what matters. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. What matters is your community with one another. What matters is the extent to which your life is being transformed. What matters is the way in which you are becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus every day in your in your person. That's what matters. The things that really don't matter are sometimes the things that churches talk and argue most about. So, I'm not sure if I have added to the dogmatically stated nonsense of leadership. And you can kind of lump all of this together with all of the other nonsense. But this is the story of the church. May the story of Koinos continue to be a story where you understand, like Acts chapter 2, that only God... Can truly build the church. You all have a part to play, but only God can truly build the church. Like Acts chapter 6, you begin to work out who must do what and how do we work together as the body to be the church. And like Acts chapter 15, what matters most? And by implication, what doesn't matter at all? Let's pray. Lord God, I do pray, congregation. Thank you for every person here, for every home, for every family. And I do not know the people here in any way whatsoever. Maybe there's someone here today like Dino or Marilyn that I mentioned at the beginning. Someone whose life journey or story is really painful and difficult at the moment. Someone who's struggling. I pray especially for that person. May they experience the love and the grace and the healing power that only you can bring. And we will give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.